Well, tomorrow is Labor Day, and this is a unique holiday because we celebrate our work by not working. So you, most of you have tomorrow off. You're going to enjoy time with your family, your friends, loved ones in, uh, in appropriate environments. And we're just so glad for this kind of end of the summer hurrah before we dive back into some of the disciplines and routines of the fall. Um, we are excited as a church to get kind of back to normal. We still are adjusting to many of the things that are happening in our world and in our lives, but God is working through our church and through other churches. We appreciate your faithfulness and just being here, being online, continuing in ministry with us. We're going to talk about work today because we spend roughly a third of our lives sleeping, and I would say about a third of our lives working. I mean, working is such a huge part of our lives. It gives us the means of trading time, trading effort, trading creativity for um, financial resources that we then turn around and put a roof over our heads, food on the table, clothes on our back, maybe a little extra to do some pleasurable things, and to be a blessing to other people through our generosity. So work is just a part of our lives. Unfortunately, many people see work in a different light. They see it almost as part of the curse. You know, if you go back to the beginning of time when God made man, one of the first things he did was after six days of work, he rested. And that becomes the template for us that we spend a majority of our week working and then we take a time, uh, like we are right now, to take a break from work, to get refreshed and renewed for the rest of the week. But God made us to work even before sin entered the picture. Sin has made work harder has made it more difficult, but we were made to work. And not only do we get financial resources from our work that enables us to enjoy life, but there's something inside, something that makes us feel fulfilled, something that makes us feel like my life matters to somebody when I use the skills that God has given me. Now, there are very few dream jobs where you get to do um, what, what you love doing all day long. Every job has some disciplines and some parts of it. Maybe 25%, even maybe up to 50% of your job is really tough. You just really don't like it, but you endure it for the other half of the job. I mean, there are parts of my job that, you know, paperwork or meetings and things like that that aren't as pleasurable as other aspects of my job. But whenever I go through a time when I'm thinking, man, this part of my job is something that's not my favorite, I think of Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe um, produced a show called Dirtiest Jobs. Have you ever watched that? I mean, whenever I go through a tough time, I think of some of those people with these really awful jobs. Now, he listed his top five uh, dirtiest jobs, and they aren't in any particular order, but here's what they were. Snake researcher. He did this in an episode where off the coast of, of the Lake Michigan, they would capture snakes and squeeze the snake to get them to expel the contents of their stomach that they could then analyze to see what their diet was. He said in the process of doing that, he was, he was bitten more than three dozen times by snakes. Concrete chipper. You ever see those big barrels on the concrete trucks that, that turn? He says, even though they're turning, concrete sticks on the inside. Someone has to go inside there with a jackhammer and chip those tons of concrete off the inside of those. It's, he said it's a very claustrophobic environment, very dirty and dusty. He says he, he really didn't like that job. But this one, even though it wasn't dirty, was, was one that he feared the most. It was, a, it was a shark suit tester. <laughs> and he only did this because it was shark week and they asked him to do it. But he had to put on this, this mesh, metal mesh diving suit, go into the water, and in order to test to see if it works, you've got to get bit by sharks. He said it was terrifying. He said he's never, ever doing that again. This was probably the dirtiest one, though. Sewer inspector. 
In his words, after sloshing through relentless chocolate tide, too smelly to describe, he said you'd encounter things that should never go down someone's toilet. And he said you'd find roaches as big as your thumb and rats as big as loaves of bread. Now, the other job, the other job that he considered his five top dirtiest jobs, cow inseminator. I'm just going to let your imagination run with that one. Awful job. I, don't you love the job you have? Does it make you feel good about your work? Today, we're going to talk about our six of the core values. Now, we've gone through five so far. We've gone through honor, humility, honesty, harmony. Last week was hunger. And today, we're going to talk about hard work. I was going to call it hustle just because it's a single H word, but, but basically hard work is, is something that's very clear to us. We want to work hard. It's depressing to go to a job where people aren't motivated. And the Gallup company last year came out with a survey that said uh, 15% of people across the world in the workforce feel fulfilled in their jobs. 15%. It's like one out of every seven people. In the United States, it's better. It's almost a third of the people feel fulfilled and engaged in their work. But that means two-thirds don't. And maybe you're one of those. You put in your hours, you clock the time, get a paycheck, but it's really not that satisfying. And you know what's even more depressing? If you go to an environment where nobody else likes working there. But how different is it when everybody comes together and puts their best effort in? Now I want to encourage you to do this. Instead of letting your job bring you down, what if you brought your job up? What if you elevated how you viewed your job? It could dramatically change everything about your work. And we're going to find that out through a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Colossae, how to approach work. Now, he's going to speak of a group of people called bondservants, but there's a great comparison there between someone who's working for a master and those of us who are working for employers. He says, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. In the time that this letter was written in the New Testament era, it's believed that up to a half of the population in these Roman colonies were slaves. Because it was considered beneath the dignity of a Roman citizen to do labor. So they hire people pretty much for everything, you know, for childcare, for education, for cooking meals, your doctors. Everybody pretty much was conscripted as a bondservant or a slave. Now, when we think of slavery, we think of people who are being mistreated, and oftentimes slaves were, but not always. Sometimes it was just an employee-employer kind of a relationship. And so that's why this comparison fits very well in the environment we have. We don't have involuntary servanthood. It's, it's voluntary. We choose our jobs. But, but this passage gives us some great um, instruction on how to approach it. How do we work with our employer? How do we look at the tasks that we do? And why are we really doing that? And see, your workplace is a platform to glorify Jesus. The place God has you, and it could be that you go off to work, could be that you work out of your house, could be that you, you are a homemaker, and that's your work. Whatever your work is, it is a platform to glorify Christ. And when you understand that, it dramatically changes not only how you approach your job, but your experience on the job. So three things that come out of this passage that, that, that show us the changes in our perspective about our work 
are these. First of all, we work with higher standards. We work with standards that are above what other people work with. Paul says some of you in the past have performed eye service, which really means you behaved well when you were being watched, but when you weren't being watched, you acted differently. He says some of you are people pleasers. You know how to please the right people, but you're not consistently pleasant to everybody. Now, have any of you ever worked with somebody like that, that when the boss was around, they knew how to say the right words, they knew how to perform real well, they were very engaged, but as soon as the boss went away, this person changed and they were rude toward their peers. Maybe they're they disrespectful toward their customers. Maybe they talk bad about their boss behind his or her back. And Paul says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. He, he says, act out of sincerity of heart. And that literally means have a singleness of your heart. Be consistent with how you act. Act the same way all the time, but act in a good way. And you know when someone acts very harshly or disrespectfully or maybe just as lazy when the boss is away, that's the real them. They, they act. They put a mask on. They, they put on a show because they know that's who pays my check. But Paul says, don't be like that. You should always act consistently, regardless of you're in the presence of the boss or not. Over this period of COVID, Julie and I have gone to a number of places, and we'll go through the drive through to get something to eat. And we've gone through some of the local fast food places, and it's amazing the, the difference in how the employees serve. And I'm not going to use names uh, for the bad places, but we've gone through places where it's very slow. There's very few employees working within on the grills and at the counters. They don't look very happy, and it comes across in their tone of voice. When we get to the drive through window and they hang, hand our stuff, it, you know, it's, we're just glad to get out of there. And we contrast that with another place that's called Chick-fil-A. Because when we go to Chick-fil-A, I know a lot of you like Chick-fil-A, but this is the truth. Chick-fil-A has about five times as many people working as these other places. I mean, you get in the parking lot, and they're already, like, all through the parking lot. There's all these people, and they're happy. They got their cow mask on. They got their T-shirt on. They are happy to see you. They gladly take your order, process it. And, man, you're, you're through that drive through pretty quick. The number of people they get through goes through very quick. And then, then when we say thank you to them, they always say, what? My pleasure. I mean, it's their pleasure to serve us. Nobody says that at these other places. I've never had one person at any other fast food place say that. And you know what? Almost always that person who says it generally means it. Now, why did, where does that come from? Where do these standards of this is how we're going to do business come from? I'll tell you where they come from. The founder of Chick-fil-A is a man named Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy became a Christian at a young age and was profoundly impacted by his relationship with Christ that he infused his business with Christian values. That's why they're closed on Sunday, so people could be with their church families. And Christians ought to have higher work standards. We don't lower them because of Christ. We elevate them because of Christ. And when you do that, your, employee is, your employer is happy. In fact, I've known employers that sought out Christian employees when I was in Bible college because they knew those kids work hard. Those kids are honest. Those kids will give me my money's worth. And if you're Christian, you ought to be an employee like that. Your boss should be glad that, that you know the Lord and you work for them. He says we do this out of the fear of the Lord. Not, not a fear that we're afraid that God's going to zap us if we don't behave well, but that we respect the Lord. We have a reverence for the Lord. 
We want to honor the Lord with what we do. We take seriously the position God has placed us in. In the book of Ecclesiastes, which many of us have been reading through during this period of time, uh, we have a Bible reading program, and right now we're in early chapters of Ecclesiastes. There's a lot in there about our jobs. In fact, Solomon in there writes that uh, it's nothing better than a person to find, or there's nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and find enjoyment in their work. He says it's a gift from God. And then he says in chapter 9, verse 10 of Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Meaning work hard at it. Work hard. Give it your best effort. Don't let other people bring down your standards. You raise them up. And here's why. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father is in heaven. See, you are in the place you are because God needs a light there. Some of you work in very dark places. And the reason is God wants you to be the difference maker. When I was in high school, a good friend of mine became a a, a really radically transformed believer. He was two grades ahead of me, graduated from high school, and we actually shared an apartment for a while. Brett went down to northern Illinois, about an hour's drive away, and found a full-time job working in a factory where they made tools. He was so excited to have this new job, he wanted to impress his boss and everyone else that he worked really hard. In fact, some people think he worked too hard because he was in the evening shift. His crew at the end of their shift would write down on the concrete in chalk how many units they produced during their shift. The day shift did the same thing. And what his goal was is he wanted to beat that number every single night. Well, what that, what that did was raise the energy level of all the other employees because they wanted to work together to reach that goal. And so they would work hard, beat the goal, and celebrate. And while that sounds good, it caused a problem with the day group because they wrote the same number every day. They did what was expected. They did the minimum. They were content with that. They didn't push themselves. They didn't try to get better. They didn't try to produce more. They knew that this is all we need to do to get a paycheck. And this other group was just showing them up because their numbers were going up. And, and they finally went to my friend Brett, who's only like 18 years old, and said, hey, dude, slow it down. You're making the rest of us look bad. And that happens sometimes. When you live a godly life as an employee and you raise your standards, you may make some people unhappy. My wife lost a job once because her employer wanted her to be dishonest with the finances. I know people who've had to quit jobs. In fact, my son quit a job because he didn't like the high-pressure tactics to sell uh, insurance plans that he didn't think were necessary on computers. And see, when you raise your standards and you say, I want to honor God, I want to bless people in this position, it may not make everybody happy, but for the most part, your employer will appreciate what you do and the contribution you make. I've... I've worked most of my life. I I have to say my dad and mom both had a strong work ethic. And so I grew up with that just kind of in the blood and worked in the garden when I was a young boy. And then when I finally could get outside to like mow lawns, shovel snow, rake leaves, I started getting a little bit of cash. As I got older, I babysat. I umpired Little League baseball games for pay. Then I finally landed this big job at Kmart where I was a stock boy. And every two weeks, I got an envelope full of cash. And you know what? It gave me a a sense of freedom, gave me some independence. Well, Paul talks about that. He says, work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, I know some people cannot work because of 
age, health reasons, injuries sustained, prior jobs. And, and though you wish you could, you can't. But for those of us who can, work enables us to have a sense of independence where, man, when I had my own money, I could eat what I wanted to for lunch. I could go out with my friends. I could buy the music I wanted. I could save up and buy a car. I could even give money to my church because now I had it to give. It's a great feeling to have this independence. And for the last 37 years, my job has been working in a church. Now, here's a mistake many people make, that somehow working in a church, being a missionary, being in full-time ministry is like the pinnacle of jobs. And it's not necessarily. It's a great job, and I appreciate being able to do this, but it's no more sacred than the job you have. That's one thing we have to learn is every job is sacred when it's done for the glory of God. We need people with high standards in the food service business, in education, in entertainment, in media, in newscasting, in politics, in medicine. We need good godly people in all those professions. We don't want them all exiting to go into ministry because their ministry is right where they are. They are to be a light in the darkness. And that light may not shine through you having a platform to preach at your job. Maybe that's not allowed. Maybe you aren't going to share your testimony at your work. But doing a job well is a witness. Martin Luther, one of the leaders of the Reformation, said the Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Work to the glory of God. That's one reason we work the way we do. We work with higher standards. But the reason we work with higher standards is because we know who we're really working for. We work for a greater boss. Because Paul says, it's not man that you're working for, it's God. He is your supervisor. The reason you don't want to just please your boss is because when that boss is gone, someone else is watching you, and it's the Lord. Live to please him. Several years ago, my wife and I decided to sell our old house. We had rented it out to various renters over the course of the years, and it just really beat the house down. The carpet was, was just destroyed. Floors were, were bad. Uh, some of the appliances need to be replaced. I mean, just a lot of work needed to be done inside the house and outside. So we said, you know what, let's just get this off our backs. Let's sell this house. But we wanted to get the best value, so I decided that I, as much as I can do the work, I'm going to do it. and Probably put in 150 hours of labor in getting this house ready. But, but one of the things I did was to go through that house and think, if my mom were to live here, what would I want to leave, it, leave for her? And our real estate agent, some of you know, Tom Downing, Tom said, Darren, he said, most people don't put this kind of scrutiny into selling their rental property. He says, you can do it if you want, but you're going above and beyond what's expected. And you know, in the back of my mind, what I'm thinking this whole time is, Tom, you don't understand. The people that move into this house may someday come to Pikes Peak Christian Church and may learn that, hey, that's the guy I bought a house from. I don't want them to find that I took shortcuts in getting that house ready for them. I want them to feel like blessed, like, man, he really did a great job. I love the house that you prepared for me. We serve because, because someone else is watching what we do. See, you could do the basics of your job and get away with it and actually get a paycheck. But you also have the opportunity to do above and beyond because of who Jesus is to you. Michael Gerber wrote a great little book called The E-Myth, and it has nothing to do with computers. It has everything to do with this myth that anybody can be an entrepreneur. Anybody can go out there and start their own business if they have a talent, have a skill, or have a product, and that's not true. 
And he gives many cases where why a majority of entrepreneurial ventures fail. But he says those who succeed have certain qualities. He says they focus their attention on things that seem insignificant or unimportant or boring, which are parts of every business. He says they have a way of turning ordinary tasks into something important, and therefore they stand out from others. What if you looked at your job from a different lens? What if instead of your job being merely transactional, it became transformational? Let me share with you the difference. Let's say you're working as a cashier at, at the, at the drive through window of a coffee shop. And people come through and they place their order and you take their order and you submit it. It gets made. They drive up. You take their credit card or cash. You, you make the payment, give the change, hand the products to, to them, and those people go on the way. That's the basics of your job. Probably that's what the job description says to do. And you did it. You... you uh, Executed a transaction. The job was transactional. Many of you have jobs like that. Customer calls, you get in the product, you're done. You did the business. But what if you took it another level? What, what, if, what if instead of just doing a transaction, you said, my job is to impact the people I serve? What if when the person places their coffee order, that you do it in such a courteous way? Good morning, can I help you this morning? They place their order, they drive up to the window. First thing you say to them is, how's your day going so far? It's later in the day, what's been, the, what's been the, the best part of your day? I mean, you start to engage in, in them as actual human beings who have needs and concerns. Maybe some things will come out in the conversation where it's not been a good day. And you say, oh, tell me about it. Real briefly, tell me about it. And you let them know, you know, I'm going to be praying for you today. What if you approached your job with a whole different mindset of not just to get the basic thing done, but I want to impact that person so when they leave my presence, they'll be a little bit different. When they get off the phone with me, they're going to feel their burdens lifted a bit. They're going to feel a little bit more joy about life. They're going to feel less pessimistic. You have the power to do that in your job. You have the power to do that. It's it's changing the mindset from I'm just here to transact business to I'm here to transform lives. It is a huge shift in our thinking. But Paul says, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Are you a chef? Make that meal to the glory of God. If you're a teacher, write that lesson and present it to the glory of God. If you're a mechanic or handyman, do your work so that God is pleased with the effort you put into it. See, your job can be a place where actually through the way you work, it can become an act of worship. And we all know we don't worship our jobs. We don't, we don't make our lives revolve around our jobs. That's, that's worshiping the work. We don't do that. But what if your work became worship? What if the way you worked became an act of worship to God? What if when you approached your work, you did it with a thankful heart? God, thank you for this job. God, there are hard parts of this job, but I thank you. There are people all over the world that are unemployed. I have a job. I'm thankful for it. I have the ability to pay some bills and provide for needs for my family. Thank you. Thank you for the salary I receive. It's not as much as I'd like, but thank you. I have something. What if when you went to your work, you began to pray and said, God, as I carry out my business, I pray that you'd use me today. I pray that you'd give me the thoughts that I need to figure out this problem and come up with a great solution. God, I pray that you would guide me as I deal with this difficult person or engage in a, in a conflict. I, I need your help. I need your, your guidance 
You know, your Holy Spirit's in me. Help me to restrain from being angry or being hurt. What if when you approached work, you had a commitment to excel in what you did? You took the training that was available. You, you wanted to do beyond just the basics to become great at what you did. I mean, our jobs can be a place where we actually worship. I love Paul's view of his job, which was being an apostle. Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he was very different than the other ones. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, he starts to explain how he was different. See, the other ones were chosen by Jesus personally, like you, 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 come to me. Jesus picked them out. Paul, Paul wasn't picked that way. Paul actually was, was chosen by a resurrected Jesus who was in another dimension, placing his hand on Paul and says, I want you to be my special apostle. And Paul knew that he wasn't worthy of it. He says, I, I don't understand why he picked me. I used to persecute Christians. I used to have them drug off and stoned to death. Why would he pick me except for his grace? I have no idea. But here's what, here's what Paul's response to his apostleship was. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Who's he speaking of? He says, the other apostles. He said, I worked harder than all of them. Why? Why, Paul? Why would you work so hard? Because God worked hard for me. God took me when I was way far away from him and he worked so hard to get me where I am. How can I not work hard for him? See, when, when, when you receive salvation, it is God's gift to you. But how you live your life is your gift back to God. And Paul says, I want to give God a good gift. I want to work hard at the calling he's placed on my life. Paul knew who his boss was, impacted how he did his job. But there's one other thing Paul hits on in this passage from Colossians is that we work for lasting rewards. We work for lasting rewards. This was important because a bondservant was always underpaid. And you may be in a position where you're underpaid. You're not getting nearly what you're worth. And Paul's giving us the assurance that that's okay because you're being watched by your boss who's in heaven. And one day he's going to give you an inheritance, a reward that's far better than all of this. See, when you work for a paycheck, that's called a wage. It's what you deserve. It's what you've earned rightfully. But when you get a reward, it's beyond what you earned. It's, it's something you couldn't have earned. It's better than what you could have earned. It's like getting a bonus. Like, oh, my goodness, I got that bonus um, because, because your boss in heaven has something great to give you for your faithfulness. And Jesus talked about this in the parable of the talents. A master goes away, he entrusts to his servants various amounts of his wealth. They're called talents. So it's a measure, a weight of silver. So to one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, to another he gave one, and then he went away on his um, trip. And then when he returned, he asked for an accounting of those. And I want to share with you what happened with the first two gentlemen that came back. And he said he who'd received the five talents came forward bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also went to the man who had two talents. He came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, I picked those two because 
both received the same rewards from the master. First, both received words of affirmation. It's part of the love language. Well done, good and faithful servant. Good job. Way to go. I mean, there's something that really thrills the heart when your supervisor says that to you. And that's what the, the master said to his servants. Secondly, he says, you've been faithful with a little. I'm going to entrust you with even more. What does that, what does that mean? It's, it's a promotion. You've managed this well. I, I entrust you now with even more. I mean, there's a, there's a sense of pride when your boss says to you, hey, you've been very faithful with what you've done. I want to put you over the whole department now. So, so there's an increase in responsibility. But then the best one of all is this, in my opinion, enter into the joy of your master. Come sit at my table. Come enjoy all the blessings that I have. You're a partner in this with me. That's what Jesus is saying. Work faithfully. Because there's an inheritance being stored up for you. It'll come to you in the appropriate time. See, it's easy to be jealous of people and what they get paid at their jobs, maybe the benefit package, maybe a work environment. Maybe, you know, someone works for Google and they get free lunch, coffee, everything all day long, anytime they want. You, Man, I really wish I had a job like that. But, you know, life isn't fair. Never will be. See, we live in, a, live in a society where preschool workers who shape the next generation get barely above minimum wage, while professional athletes that entertain us make tens of millions of dollars a year. I mean, they'll make more in one year playing a sport, basketball, football, baseball, than, than most of us will make in a lifetime. Is that fair? No. It's just what it is. But you know, someone's watching. Someone's watching from above. And they'll reward you appropriately. doesn't mean there aren't rewards here, because there are rewards here. Some, you may receive a promotion here. You may get a financial benefit for your labor here. I know many Christians who've been faithful in their jobs, and they got promoted up the ranks, and they start at the lowest level, and now they're at a high level. That can happen, but it may not. Either way, God says, I've got a reward for you. I've got your back covered. Several years ago, I shared a story. It's one of my favorite stories because I think it illustrates so beautifully this whole shift in thinking about your work. Gordon McDonald was a pastor in the Northeast, and he had a gentleman in his church come to him and complain one weekend. He says, Pastor, he says, I really don't like my job. I drive bus for the city, and it's just so routine and monotonous. It seems so unfulfilling. You know, I really long to get a different job where I could serve God better. And Gordon McDonald knew that this man's never going to go into a full-time ministry and he can't go back to school and, and, that, and that maybe God has him in the very place he wants him. So he actually challenged this man and said this, tomorrow when you go back to work and before you get on your bus, do this. Just stand at the door of your bus before any passengers get on and say, Lord, take my bus. Make it a sanctuary today. Make it a holy place where that everyone who enters will be blessed because they are on my bus. Pray, Lord, that my interactions with people will lift them up and they'll leave here happier as they go than when they came. He said, go, say that prayer at the start of every day and let's see what God does. So Monday he did that, Tuesday he did it, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. The next Sunday he comes back to church. He's so excited! He was just bubbling. He says, Pastor, 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 you don't believe what happened. He says, I, I did what you told me to do. 
He said, I went to work and I prayed that God would take my bus and make it a sanctuary. Oh my goodness, you won't believe what happened. And he began to share stories of encounters and conversations with people that got on his bus. And this guy was so animated. And then Gordon McDonald said to him, isn't it amazing what God can do when a bus becomes a sanctuary? And I wonder what would happen if your cubicle or your office or your bus your company became a sanctuary for the Lord. It became a platform where people could see Jesus at work. Quit despising your job. Quit complaining about your job. God may have you in the, in the very place he needs you to shine a light in a very, very dark place. And he sees it. He'll reward you for your faithfulness. But give him the chance to touch someone's life through the way you conduct yourself on the job, whatever it is. I can't do it tomorrow because it's Labor Day, but let's start Tuesday. Tuesday. Before you even go into the building, before you go into your office, before you go in whatever it is, the place you work, and maybe you're a student, you don't get paid for it, but that's your full-time job right now, whatever it is. You're a homemaker. That's your full-time job. You're taking care of kids. You're taking care of the animals, all that. What if you started your day saying, God, okay, this place is a sanctuary today. You are here today. You're at work in my midst. Give me the eyes to see it. Give me discernment. Fill me with your spirit so I can conduct myself in a way that pleases you and gives you glory. May this be a place where people can receive and experience the love of Jesus through my labor. Would you do that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Friday, Saturday, let's see what God does as he transforms our jobs into places that shine a spotlight on Jesus Christ. Can you do that? You can say amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege we have to represent you. Lord, every job has a potential to be a holy place where Jesus is seen and Jesus has heard, oh, maybe not through a presentation of the gospel, maybe not through scripture quoting, but through the way we live our lives. May we be so transparent that people can't help but see Jesus in us. And that by seeing Jesus in us, they are drawn to him. We pray this in his holy name. And if you would agree, would you say amen? Amen. amen. God bless you. Whether you're here or online, work for the glory of God. Jesus has given you a platform to shine a light on him.